listening to Go Dig a Hole. This is your host, Christopher Sims. This show is your archaeology toolkit, where I'll bring you resources to kickstart your career in archaeology. If you're still in school, thinking about going back, just getting started, or want to take the next step, Go Dig a Hole has you covered. All right, now let's get on with the show. Welcome to the 29th episode of the Go Dig a Hole podcast. I'm your host, Chris Sims, and today I've got Daniel Kwan from the Curiosity and Focus podcast joining me. We'll be talking about our favorite books that have to do with archaeology and anthropology and a few other uh, selected topics. So here we go. Um, I wanted to actually do an episode on, you know, like archaeology and pop culture with you. Uh, And then when you messaged me on Twitter, I was like, oh, man. We're kind of doing that already. <laughs> uh, I'm still that that idea is awesome, and I'm so totally game to do an episode uh, with you for uh, your podcast on that. Uh, and it's funny, like the last time I had you on the show, um, I had mentioned that uh, you know prior to that episode, I was in the field doing some some CRM surveys, and I I caught up on your whole podcast. And yeah, that's right. Now here you are on again, and uh, last week, I drove down to uh, Northern California to do some work with the Karuk tribe. And That's right, I saw that. I listened to all of the episodes that I had not yet caught up on. So once again, I'm, I'm caught up on your show. Oh, full circle. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> did you listen? Did uh, Well, actually, it's really early. Did you listen to um, today's episode? No, no. Uh, so, uh, so a new one came out today. Um, I, I sat down with this, an archaeologist who I, I've been meaning to interview for a long time. She sits like 10 feet from me at University of Toronto. And she's on a European like team that discovered the earliest art in Europe. Whoa. It's like this really cool origination uh, stone tablet that has this like stipple engraving of an auroch. And it's like 38,000 years old. Uh, so I just put that one up, and I was like, oh, Chris would like this, because it's another archaeology one, and I don't do enough of those. That is so awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to that one. I uh, I wasn't uh, listening to podcasts today, but I, I did have an audio book on uh, that I'll talk about uh, here later on. But I guess before we get into uh, uh, talking about books, uh, this is f- 4th of July week slash weekend for oh, yeah, that's right. America, and uh, in Canada, you guys just got done with uh, celebrating the the 150th anniversary of of Canada. Uh, Canada so, Day. And I saw that you were doing some cool stuff at uh, uh, at ROM, right? Yes. So the uh, the ROM was you know free all day on Saturday, but we were also celebrating 75 years of our children's programs at the ROM. Uh, so myself and another teacher, we were in our art studio and our office kind of like showcasing what we were doing. I had, I just had a table full of swords (laughs) and (laughs) it was kind of my thing there. I had a table full of swords and, uh, the other teacher had a table full of Canadian artifacts and we had old photos going back to like, I don't know how, how far back, but we had some black and white photos of uh, students at the ROM well before you and I were born. Um, some photos of me as like a teenager working there. And we had these chalkboards and people were coming in. It was it was pretty cool. 13,000 people came through the museum that day. Wow. That is so awesome. Yeah. Talk about some good public yeah. engagement. 
yeah, it was it was pretty great. It was pretty great. Man, that is But like awesome. you're doing you're you've got some new projects coming out that that involve public engagement, don't you? Yeah, it's uh, still kind of in the in the it, it's like a little bit beyond the brainstorm stage and uh, kind of in the whole like okay, how how on earth do I actually pull this thing off? And uh, I talked to uh, Dr. Alex Jones. Uh, she she's the director for archaeology in the community in Washington D.C. And right. she had just loads and loads of really awesome inf- information and advice. And <clears throat> I had her on on the podcast recently. And uh, you know, off the record, she she really like laid it bare for me and, and said, you know, like what it really takes, like the the kind of grind and hustle it takes to pull off a program uh, like that. And uh, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, well, this is just going to have to be a side hustle <laughs> for a while until I'm ready yep. to spend like sixty hours a week doing this thing. Because uh, it I... sounds like once it reaches critical mass and starts to be become this thing that you know needs constant maintenance there's just no turning away from it after that so yeah you're it's gonna it's gonna be like another full-time job upon your full-time job yeah and somewhere in there i I still have to find time to uh you know like spend time with my fiance and like ride my bike and eat eat tacos and stuff like that. do all of your portland things actually i haven't listened to that episode yet it's saved in my queue when it (laughs) popped up on my itunes i looked at it and i was like alex jones are you on Infowars? <laughs> you got Alex Jones from Infowars. Yeah. And I was like, should I tweet at him? But I don't want to cause any rumors or anything. <laughs> but I thought you got Alex Jones from Infowars. And I was I was both like envious and <laughs> and angry at the same time. Yeah, like R.I.P. my brand. Uh yeah, exactly. No, I, I'm so happy that you made that connection because I was like, I don't want to be the one to, to make that connection. But, uh, you know, no, I was... I, I've, oh, I've listened to too much Alex Jones. He was... So my favorite podcast is the Joe Rogan Experience. Mm-hmm. And he had Alex Jones on. And this was got to be a couple months ago. And I was walking around in Montreal listening to that episode. And it was three hours of Alex Jones screaming about aliens and Pizzagate into my ears while I was looking for bagels. <laughs> and I was like, I never want to hear Alex Jones again, but I couldn't stop listening to that episode. So when I saw that you had an Alex Jones on your show, I was like, oh, no, what has he done? <laughs> yeah, I, I know things are getting weird in Portland, but like Alex Jones, <laughs> go dig a hole. Yeah, no, I've, I've gone full road. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, that would have been that would have been pretty funny, though, to hear. um you know, Alex Alex Jones of Infowars takes on uh, archaeological phenomena. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it's like something you'd read in fiction. Yeah. Oh, yes. what a good segue! <laughs> <laughs> there we go. God, you're good at this. All right. <laughs> so, uh, the the reason uh, we came together for this episode is to talk about our favorite books that uh, have you know, even anything loosely relating to anthropology or, or archaeology. And I've had a series of posts that uh, I've been trying to keep up with as mostly just kind of a personal project um, where I put reading lists on the Go to Go Hole blog. And uh, what it does is it, it forces me, I try and pick like five books every season. So yep. it, it forces me to read five books for fun, uh, every every three months, uh, which is 
not that, an easy pace for no, me that's to keep up with. No, that's definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. <laughs> and I'm really bad about, uh, I'll, I'll pick up books and I'll kind of like start to read them and then I'll pick up another one and start to read it. And, uh, then I end up with a whole slew of unfinished books. Uh, so I'm pretty bad about that, but, um, you know, this is kind of helping me be a little bit better. Um, some of them are, some of them are great. Uh, but you know, if, if a book doesn't really grab my uh, attention right away, then I'm and you're just, done. Yep, I'm not going to follow through with it. I think a lot of people think that they have to follow through with reading a book, and I think people don't realize that it's okay to be like, this book isn't really good. I'm just going to drop it. Yeah, I'm that way with like TV and movies and, and music yep. too, and it's it's one of those things that's you know some of my friends get just like really frustrated when when I'm like. They'll say, "Hey, uh, did you check out this show?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I didn't really dig it." <laughs> and they're like, "You got to give it a chance." And I'm like, "No, nah, I didn't like it." No, nah. I have a friend. Uh, he's been on my show a couple of times, uh, Kieran Mukherjee, and he has like a TV rule. And his thing is that, you know, unless he's super hyped about a show, he's not going to get into a show unless it's already past one season and it's got another season order. <laughs> he's like i'm not going to commit to a show if it only lasts a season unless it's a mini series yeah i think that's probably a, a pretty good benchmark for uh kind of the the quality of you know the writing and production and stuff that would go into a show if you know it has some staying power to you know keep getting renewed no absolutely do you do you find i i always use this as an excuse because i really like how you know you kind of I'm not going to say forcing yourself to read, but you're giving yourself like a reading task. It's it's almost like a directed reading if we want to go back to like school. <laughs> but like you, okay, so you have an undergrad and a master's. Yeah. Do you find that your time in the academy has made you a slower reader? Yes. Yeah. I'm oh a, my God. Thank you. I'm a frustratingly slow reader and uh, it's just because I'll, I'll pour over a sentence over and over and over again. And I had this really brilliant um, archaeological theory professor named Cheryl Clausen, who um, she she really drilled the importance of content laden uh, words. And yep. so that's just one of those things that I'm just on red alert for. And it's it's even like gone into things as simple as like, you know, reading the news or Facebook or Twitter posts. I'm like, oh, that yeah, that's an unfortunate way to use that word, whatever. But, you know, you overanalyze. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's been the case with me. Like in high school, I used to just tear through books, like absolutely tear through them. I get like easily done like a couple of books a week back in high school. Yeah. And then I got into like I did my master's and all of a sudden the the rate I, at which I could digest a book and not just like, you know, read and forget about like digest really digest a book, like slow down significantly. And there was yeah. like Actually, up until the uh, SAA conference in Vancouver, I was I was going for a book every two weeks, and I was on pace. And then I went on a trip, and I threw everything off. And since then, I think I've finished one book. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's hard to keep up with, man. And uh... it, it really is, especially if you have so many other things to do. Like, I mean, like you're really active on social media. You've got the show. And you, you just moved and I mean, how do you keep up with all of that? Yeah. And it's also like with, uh, the full-time work I'm doing with Codify now, it's, it's like, yeah, my brain is mush by the end of a work day. And there are times when I need something that's not 
it, it's not heady. You know, I need something that's right. going to be kind of like easy on my brain. So that's I, why I read comics. Yeah. Oh, I've recently gotten back into some graphic novels and stuff that I, I had when I was younger. Uh, and I, I left that for a long time and now I'm kind of rediscovering that. One, one of the books that I actually picked for, to talk to you about is actually uh, a comic book. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think you would love it. <laughs> let's dive right into that then. Uh, let's, okay. Let's I'll hear about this. Gotta... Okay. So the, the comic that I picked is, I don't think, I think most people wouldn't, like most people wouldn't know about this one. So it, it's called Master Keaton. Um, Master Keaton, it's like an ongoing series. I don't think it's going right now. It ran from like the late 80s to the mid 90s. There's like 18 books. Um, but it's by, uh, well, it's by Naoki Urasawa. And so there's 18 volumes of this manga. And the main character is, is really interesting. He's like, he's so he's half half Japanese, half British. And he's basically an insurance agent. But Master Keaton, the character, was like he was once in the SAS and then he studied archaeology and then he became an insurance investigator. <laughs> so a lot of the like the stories involve him going to I think in the first book he goes to like Greece and he goes through ancient ruins and he has to fight these gunmen but doesn't have a um, he doesn't have a weapon on him because he's a tourist. So he makes an atolatl. Cool. And fights these like gunmen with an atolatl. <laughs> <laughs> but Master Keaton is like one of the few comics that I've read where the main character is an archaeologist, displays like a respect for cultural heritage, and the author has kind of integrated that into the story very well. That is but awesome. But he's also like the most improbable character ever because he's like, I used to be in the you know, the special forces for the Brits. And I was an archaeologist and I studied at Oxford, but now I do insurance work. That's really but, neat because it's kind of like but, a, it's like this amalgamation, it sounds, of almost like Indiana Jones and, and like Clark Kent. Yeah, it's like Indiana Jones, Clark Kent mixed with um, Christoph Waltz's character from um, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, that, that's basically the character. And he's got the look of like a Clark Kent, but without the glasses. Nice. So I guess Superman in a suit. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but that that's the that's the one I picked. And I was like, I have to pick something different. I actually picked books from a couple of different genres. I don't know how you want to do it. If you want to like like go back and forth, or if you want me to 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 share all of the ones that I've picked. Uh, I I had not even thought that far ahead. I just figured uh, we could go for it. But uh, it, it sounds like you're on a roll. So let's I, yeah, I can go let's for go it. with so your next one. The first one is Master Keen. I'll send you the links to all of these. So if you want to share them with your your audience, perfect. Um, Master Keaton is straight up archaeological fiction. Um, I've I've actually gone on the other end of the spectrum and picked another like fictional work, but this time it's sci-fi. Um, so there's this author, and his uh, his name is Alistair Reynolds. Uh, so he's actually, I, I believe he has a PhD in, uh, I'm going to say physics or astronomy, um, but he worked for like the European Space Institute. He's st he actually like, I think, I think it's a part of the European Space Agency. But he wrote like a series of science fiction books. I've only read one of them, but it's his first book, and it's called Revelation Space. Um, and I have it here in front of me. And when I, I picked up this book, and I was like, oh, man, that, that cover looks like that cover looks dope. It's got, like, this really cool um, 
it's got a spaceship that kind of looks like the one from the Martian. Oh, nice. Uh, that one with that like revolving, I don't know what that is, but the thing that creates artificial gravity for them. Yeah. Um, but in the opening page of the book, he's describing an archaeological site, but in the future on another planet. Uh, that's awesome. And he's actually talking about like, you know, all of these square shafts and he's talking about all the bulks and the stratigraphy and like the geological history of it and how that how that could be um, disrupted by this like space sandstorm that's coming in. And so like the main character of this book or one of the main characters without any spoilers is an archaeologist who's investigating this like dead race. Uh, it's super cool. And it, I mean, it's a book written by a scholar. Um, who clearly has like an understanding of, you know, the scientific process, you know, science. And even though he's not an archaeologist, like you could tell he took some time to learn about the discipline. That's really cool uh, to take the idea of like, you know, using the scientific principles that we work with, like stratigraphy you had mentioned and, you know, various cultural features and kind of imagine what would they look like? Uh, for a non-human race on a non-Earth planet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Star Trek kind of did that in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation because Jean-Luc Picard was an archaeologist. Um, I would yeah. say he's like the best TV archaeologist, but um, <laughs> I see in this book, it's far more far more faithful to like our discipline. Yeah. So, so the last three that I picked are, I, I think they have things in, themes in them that you and I talked about. Only one of them is really, I would say one and a half of them are anthropological. Um, so the, the first one is uh, The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down. I don't oh, know if you've cool. read that book. No. But it's, it's by Anne Fadiman. And it's, a, it's like a medical anthropology book. And it's about a um, Hmong refu refugee family living in California. So, so the Hmong people, they... They live in like they're an ethnic group that live in like the mountainous parts of like southern China and like I think Vietnam and Thailand. Mm -hmm. um, but it's about this refugee family and their daughter who has like severe epilepsy and kind of how her uh, quality of life is severely disrupted by the cultural conflict between her family's beliefs in medicine and mest um, and Western biomedicine. Oh, cool. So, it's like it's a it's like a really heart wrenching read because you you you're thinking about this girl and you know the fam her family clearly wants the best for her and you know the best for her in their eyes is something different from what the medical system wants for her. It, it's it's a fantastic book. I read it in my undergrad for a cultural anthropology class and um, I've held on to that book since, but I gave it to one of my guests who who is a doctor. <laughs> Nice. Well, hopefully they enjoyed it. This sounds like a brilliant crossover between, uh, you know, anthropology and the medical professions. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, there are a lot of, I mean, in my department at the University of Toronto, there are uh, several scholars who study sort of the interaction between you know, traditional medicine and Western biomedicine. Uh, there's an anthropologist named Nav Nahal, and she studies uh, traditional Chinese medicine. And I'm going to have her on my show in the future because nice. I did one on Western medicine. So I want to do one on Eastern medicine. But it was really cool as, you know, for me as somebody who, you know, I'm Asian Canadian. I, I've been exposed to like the traditional Chinese medicines and I've been exposed to, you know, Western medicine. And 
you know, my quality of life hasn't really been affected by this cultural conflict. Um, but kind of reading about that in this book was just a gigantic eye opener. It, it's just basically a book that argues for like cultural competence and <laughs> cultural relativism in the medical profession. Nice. nice. Yeah, it's really good book. I, I, I definitely think of all the books I'm going to suggest, I have two more. Your audience would love that one. Yeah, that that reminds me of a book that has not been on any of my uh, my book lists. Um, it's called Health and the Rise of Civilization. Oh, and, cool. Uh, I'll have to put that on a on a reading list sometime in the future. But I had to read that one uh, for a class that I was taking called uh, something like um, Health and Human Disease or or something like that, like Disease and Evolution or whatever. And so it it was a uh, biological anthropology course I took in grad school. But we had a lot of people from the med school in it because it satisfied um, some of the the courses that they needed for their program. And I found oh, that cool. they were really interested in the crossover between, um, you know, culture and tradition and, and how it affected health. And then also, you know, just kind of how, how evolution sits with that. Uh, and then how, you know, we've got this whole conflict between, you know, what, what culture does to our bodies and what evolution does to our bodies and stuff like that. So, uh, it's, uh, it's a highly recommended read. Oh, that's uh, cool. That kind of reminds me of, I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on Jared Diamond? (laughs) I think he's a crock of shit. Uh, (laughs) boom. (laughs) No, I I agree. I'm not a big fan of him, but what you just described reminds me of an article he wrote. He wrote an opinion piece for like in the late eighties, for a magazine called Discover, I guess uh-huh. Discover Magazine. And uh, so my research at the University of Toronto is involved with the origins of rice agriculture. And my supervisor, Gary Crawford, is one of the leading experts on the origins of agriculture in Asia. And I'm pretty sure he also hates Jared Diamond. But he, right, he, for all of his classes, he always assigned us a Jared Diamond reading. And it's only been one. And it's called The Worst Mistake in the History of the Human Race. <laughs> And it's the only it's the only work of Jared Diamond's that I've actually thought was kind of compelling. And he basically just argued that agriculture was the worst mistake in the history of the human race. Yeah, and that's a fair point to make. And I think it's funny that. Uh, but it's so sensationalistic the way he wrote yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And I've I've had to read a lot of his books too. And uh, you know, I think Guns, Germs, and Steel might be the one that he's that's got the, the most acclaim for. Uh, and then he's got another book called Collapse. And I I read. I read both of those in grad school and we had to, our assignment was identify all of the logical fallacies and identify where he gets literally everything wrong. And yep. uh, it, he's got these great ideas, but like you said, it's very sensational. And I think that comes from his, I believe he has a background in journalism, right? And so- I think so. Um, you know, it it's written in a prose that is- very accessible and it really grabs the reader's attention so it is an entertaining read but when you're looking at you know environmental determinism being like the main driver for uh whether or not you know (laughs) why uh the levant had the civilizations that they had versus why pacific islanders didn't have the same things it's just kind of like 
dude, come on. Like it's it's not even comparable. And he's he he thinks comparative studies kind of work in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So uh I forget who wrote it, but there's a brilliant book that just it tears everything apart. Uh it's just called Questioning Collapse. And it's, a whole book called Questioning Collapse? Yeah. And it's a companion to Jared Diamond's book called Collapse. And uh or rather not a companion, a, a rebuttal. Uh, and so they break it apart, you know, every single line and, uh, they, they do a great job and they, oh, it's an edited volume. Yeah. And so they have these chapters and like one one of the ones, since I've worked on the Maya, you know, I, I really grabbed on, on the Maya and it's like, yeah, it's just very simplistic explanations that, uh, diamond offers for, you know, why, why cultures have collapsed and stuff like that. And it's, it's one of those, you know, it's one of those questions that really, um and ordered i just ordered it <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah I'm gonna have you know, to the idea of social collapse is is pretty central to a lot of archaeology um you know if, if absolutely i mean collapse is such around. a it's such a big buzzword but i mean kate i've so a, a former partner of mine is is a mayanist uh studies like the contemporary maya but i mean one of the things that you read about, and I've written papers on this as well for, for classes, never published, because uh, I am not a Mayanist, uh, is that like Jared Diamond talks about like the collapse of the Maya. And, and we hadn't, uh, at the Royal Ontario Museum, we actually had a display on the Maya as well. Um, but a lot of people think the Maya are gone. Right. But they're, they're still very people. much around. They're living people. There's, there's still a, a, a living, breathing Mayan language and culture. Um, and books like Collapse really make you think that they're gone. Yeah. Gone forever and not just very changed over time. Exactly. And I, I think collapse kind of doesn't imply very changed. It just means gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's the big problem with it. That's why that's why shows like Go Dig a Hole are really important. Because <laughs> we get to tear <laughs> apart Jared Diamond. I'm uh, constantly plugging your show. <laughs> yeah. And, and likewise, you know, on Curiosity and Focus, you you go far outside of, you know, just simply archaeology and anthropology and, and, uh, you know, you explore these other topics and they're always fascinating. And, and it's, it's this, uh, I think one of my favorite ones that I've, I've listened to was, uh, your, your friend who ran the Italian sausage. Uh, oh yeah. Place. Mario Garisto of Sorella Toronto. Yeah. That was a really entertaining, uh, listen. And, uh, you know, it just, it, it goes all over the place. Um, yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah, that was fun. He's a good dude. Yeah, I um, this season I feel like has has been really, really good. You were in this season. Uh, <laughs> uh, this season I feel has been really, really good. I, I feel like I'm finally hitting my stride and getting like a wide variety of topics. Um, I'm recording one within the next two weeks. I'm finally hit a point where I don't have a backlog of episodes. Um, but I have two left in the season before I take a break and I've got another archaeologist lined up and we're actually going to talk about the paleo diet. Oh, nice. Yeah. And she studies ancient diets. So we're going to talk about the paleo diet and we'll see where we go from there. Yeah. That's, that's a really good topic to cover. I'll, I'll be really interested to hear that one. Yeah. We're going to talk about the paleo diet and then my thoughts on maybe veganism, things like that. Uh, it's going to be a good one, but but we should get back to books. We should get back to books. I don't know how. Oh, we got here because of Jared Diamond and oh yeah, my my uh, <laughs> my introduction to to um one of Jared's 
better works. Um, yes. <laughs> but I big I picked two others that I thought were really good because, I mean, you when you when you message me and you're like, hey, let's talk about books that are anthropological or even tangentially anthropological. I was like, okay, yeah. I don't want to like talk about textbooks because, I mean. If you're studying, because your your podcast is for people who are studying archaeology, want to be archaeologists, or or, or are into archaeology, so they probably already you know read these things. Um, but one yeah. of the things that I feel is amazing for your audience, and I think people in general, are, are books that make you better human beings, better at like interacting with other human beings, and, and that that's something you and I have talked about in you know in just our, you know, our conversations or during episodes. And, and one of the things that, you know, makes, make archeologists really good at their jobs, if you can be a successful one or a really good CRM archeologist or really good, I'm going to call you a community archeologist because that's kind of what you do. You, you're really into the community aspect of it, be it like education and interacting with, you know, the descendants of the people that you study. Um, but the two books that I picked are, the I would say the the most recent two books that have had a profound change on my life. Um, the first one is Originals by Adam Grant, and I recommend this book to everybody I talk to, anybody who's creative, anybody who feels like they want to make a difference, which uh, which I hope everybody in the world feels like. But yeah. Adam Grant wrote this amazing book on basically how you know creative individuals, people who haven't conformed to social norms have made significant impacts on the world. Uh, he talks about, uh, you know, Warby Parker and how their business model was successful and how these like four students basically revolutionized an industry that had been pretty stagnant without having any experience in eyewear. Um, and they talked about like why the Segway failed and Steve Jobs' obsession with the state with the Segway. But he also talked about like, you know, being original, perhaps not being first, but being different and better. Uh, when I read this, I read this book shortly before I started my show, and it, it, it kind of has influenced how I approach podcasting, sort of social media and education. You know, it's, uh, it's a really good book for anybody who wants to do something that's atypical. And I feel like people who do archaeology and anthropology as you know saddening as that may be um that's an atypical career absolutely and and so originals is a is a really good one for people who want to do something different um but are afraid of you know taking the leap or you know or just afraid of being different i really like this book uh it's going it's one of those books that i'm never going to give away but i would buy for somebody um, because I love my copy so much. <laughs> nice. I actually, I, it's one of the few books I dog ear because there's parts of it that I love so much. I actually read this. Oh my God. I read this book. Um, I finished this book on the way, on my way back from the 2016 essays in Orlando. Oh, cool. That's when I finished this book. Um, it was an amazing book and I really loved it. And the last one is, not quite anthropology at anthropological at all kind of originals you could you can argue is anthropological because it's about people um but the last book is more of a self-help book 
Uh, it's called The Art of Asking. It's by uh-huh. Amanda Palmer. She's a, she's a singer. She was in she's like a solo artist and she was in the Dresden Dolls. They're like oh, a yeah. baroque band and she's married to Neil Gaiman. Uh, but she did this TED talk on the importance of you know being vulnerable and letting people help. And I feel like that really resonated with me as somebody who was trying to get into something like podcasting, uh, you know, as somebody who, you know, you and I both work in, you know, an industry where it is inherently collaborative. Oh, yeah. Like archaeology is super collaborative. I mean, even with your work at Codify, you're not the only person working on this amazing like software. No, you're, and you're one neither of is Codify alone. I mean, I I feel a lot of times where the the work that they're doing to take a you know to take different organizations paperless is a, a collaborative effort, and we end up learning, you know, we end up learning from the the client, and so it's it's interesting to really break down barriers on on what the you know client and service provider relationship uh could be so i'm i'm really interested to uh read this book because i'm already very interested in yeah the it's, idea it's cool because you know being she's willing a to take advice yeah she's a musician and she like there was a whole section when she was just talking about the importance of getting the email you know getting somebody's email yeah and the responsibility of having an email list uh, but but also it's just like you know, be vulnerable, open yourself up to collaboration, you know, let, let people help you. You, you shouldn't be the only person, you know, going through life and going through these struggles on your own. You have this like massive network. And I feel like, and I always tell people in my department, oh, you should read this. But everybody's like, oh, you just saying that because you have a crush on Amanda Palmer, <laughs> um, which I do. Um, no but but also, be, yeah, but also because like, we, you know, academia is so, you know, insular and we're all competing with one another. And you and I, you and I have talked about this on, on both of our shows, um, how a- academia really breeds you to be competitive, but it doesn't breed you to be collaborative. And that's what the discipline needs. Um, so, so of all the books that I picked, so The Art of Asking is about collaboration. This is all tied together. <laughs> the Art of Asking is about, you know, collaboration and vulnerability and sharing originals is about you know being different uh being creative and the importance of innovation uh you know the the spirit catches you and you fall down is about cultural competence and and understanding and cultural relativism um master keaton of course is about the 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 wide reach of archaeology and, you know, how something that we might think, you know, classical archaeology, not like Indiana Jones, you know, real archaeology is something that might not look the most engaging to outsiders can be. So that's why I picked Master Keen. And then, of course, you know, Revelation Space is, a, is just a, a demonstration on how, A, archaeology can still have a role in our future. Understanding the past is still very important even in a science fiction future. So all five of those books kind of A, show the importance of archeology, span even in fiction, and, and B, are like lessons for anthropologists on how to be better at you know, that discipline and better at you know, being human. That's awesome. Boom. 
very, made all that up. <laughs> very well selected, and and I'm I'm impressed that that was very thematic as well. I got I gotta I gotta bring my A game for you, man. <laughs> Dude, I appreciate it. It's 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 always fun having you on the show. Uh, I guess I guess the the burden's on me to follow that up. Then um, I want to hear what you picked. All right. So let's let's start with a a book that I just started today, and I'm I had mentioned earlier I'm a very slow reader, so I I uh, picked this book up on Audible, which I I noticed that uh, is now a a uh, sponsor of the Curiosity and Focus podcast. So congrats on on killing it with bringing in these really cool sponsors and stuff. And and Audible is a cool program, and and I'm not you know, being, being sponsored to say this, uh, but I really, really dig audible because there's times when I'm just very busy and I, I want to listen to a book, but I don't have time to like sit down and, and read it. But, uh, I really love the, I think it's called like whisper sync or something like that. Whisper sync. Yeah. Yeah. Where, uh, if you have it also on Kindle, you can make kind of notes and highlights in audible and it bookmarks it in your Kindle. And yep. when I was in grad school, there were some great books that, uh, you know, for required reading in, in the courses I was taking that were actually on Audible. And so I, I got to really... Oh, that's cool. Yeah, blast through my uh, course readings uh, with Audible. But this book is called uh, The Last Neanderthal. And... Oh, I know that one. That's by... Uh... Oh, I have it somewhere. Oh, let me pull up. Is that up. by Robert J. Sawyer? No, it's by uh, Claire Cameron. Oh, hold up. Let me, let me, I have another book. One second. Yeah. Ugh. And, uh, I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> nice. Oh, God. Yeah, Claire Cameron, uh, wrote this book, The Last Neanderthal. And it is, it is a fiction that is, um, it, it's based on archaeology, um, okay. but and it has like multiple storylines going, um, and so each chapter kind of bounces around uh, through these multiple storylines, and one of the storylines follows um, a like a Neander several Neanderthals, but there's there's kind of a, a two protagonists. Um, it's a it's a, a female Neanderthal and a male Neanderthal and, and it goes through, you know, like, Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> what life would have been like in the, I'm assuming like, I don't know, middle paleolithic and like a time where everything is changing and you know, the, the environment is changing, animals are changing and uh, people are changing. And uh, so there's a whole lot of stuff to figure out. And there's a, there's a lot of, you know, like hopes, and dreams and and like you know the 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 beauty and the tenderness and the struggle of like interpersonal relationships and then also you know like the the triumph and also the fear of of surviving and uh you know then it also one of the storylines is a a a woman who's an archaeologist present day and she uncovers or not uncovers but she is studying uh, these Neanderthals. And so, you know, it, the story comes back and forth and it's really well written, um, in how, you know, it's like, as the archeologist is talking about details, 
your it goes back to the Neanderthals and, and it's talking it's like going through their life and I think I think it would make a great movie. Um, you know you know what's actually super cool about that. What's that? So you know Claire Cameron's she lives in Toronto, right? No. Yeah, she lives in Toronto. She's like she's a Canadian author, like I think born and raised in Toronto. <laughs> and uh, oh man, I wonder if I can get in co- get in touch with her and you and I can do a podcast with her. That would be sweet, because uh, I'm really loving this book. And one of the things that I'm I'm already I had mentioned I started it today. I'm already a third of the way through the book, uh, maybe a little more. And... Slow reader, my ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's all thanks to Audible, uh, and so. Uh, I'm picking up that there are there are themes that I think are really important to anybody outside of archaeology, especially women, because one of the themes that's developing is the challenge of women in academia and the struggles that they oh. face just to make it, like just to get grant funding, just to get published, just to get you know anything done in a higher ed institution. Uh, you know, administratively and stuff like that. There's so much extra like emotional labor and there's so much extra, you know, just like burden placed on the the quality of work and stuff like that. And so this, this fictional character, you know, she makes it, she nails it. She's got like this, this, you know, this site that could make her career. And as things are going on, you know, she's dealing with all of the, the ups and downs of that. And um, so it's really cool. Uh, I'm I'm already like, you know, like I said, I'm burning through it today and uh, I figure I'll probably have it finished by tomorrow. Um, so I'm nice. Pretty well, I'm going to have to check. I'm going to have to check that one out. I actually have um, when I, I disappeared, I accidentally unplugged my mic. So if you <laughs> if there was a point when you you might have been talking to yourself for like, 10 seconds nah. um, but there's another Toronto based author something about Toronto uh, Robert J. Sawyer he um, he wrote a book called Hominids uh, and it's a it's a series that basically uh, I read this a long time ago so I'm going to try to recall what happened but basically how like Neanderthals became the dominant intelligence on earth rather than you know going extinct it's another cool sci-fi one oh nice that that can go in line with the last Neanderthal and yeah. also a Toronto author. <laughs> <laughs> so the last Neanderthal. Yeah. That was your first one. That, I mean, off to a really strong start, man. <laughs> Thanks. And so I guess uh, if I'm going to follow up uh, on, on stories of, of uh, romance, um, you know, the last Neanderthal deals with uh, ancient romance. And this one, the next book, is Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari. And, nice. Uh, I know it's not archaeology, but... It's it's sociological, though. It's incredibly sociological. And uh, so I was surprised. Uh, uh, my fiancé picked it up uh, because you know we, we like Aziz Ansari as an actor and comedian. Um, we, we love his show, Master of None. Amazing um, second season. Yeah, so good. Uh, and so we picked up the book just like on a whim to, to read on a road trip. And um, I was amazed from the very start that uh, he pulls in a lot of research. There's a lot of qualitative and quantitative data uh, that he pulls from anthropologists, uh, psychologists, and other researchers. And he also pulls, you know, the quantitative data from uh, dating apps and websites. And um, so he does uh you know basically a study of 
modern pair bonding and uh, looks at it generationally. So he's comparing like baby boomers to millennials and looking oh, wow. at how, you know, kind of like settlement practices have also changed and they've also changed how we kind of move through kinship and negotiate finding partners. And uh, so it's, it's really interesting. Um, and it really made me kind of scratch my head and, and think like, oh man, like what, uh, how much of a impact does like settlement strategy and mobility have on, you know, just like romance and, and finding partners and stuff like that. And so it's, it's interesting that with, uh, you know, with the way, you know, Western societies are, are highly mobile and, you know, kind of um, urbanism is very different you know, you're not, you're like one of the comparisons that he talks about is how, uh, he's talking to this, this, uh, this older fella. And he talks about how you would in New York city, you would only date someone who lived in your building. And it was like, you would, you would date someone who lived in your building, you would get married and then you would move into, you know, you would pick whoever had the nicer apartment or whatever. And you would move in together, have a family, and then, you know, repeat. And, you know, now it's like, you know, thanks to technology and, you know, higher mobility and stuff like that, people wouldn't dream of dating someone in their own building. They'd be like, ah, no, like, that's that's not what I want. That's, like, way too close to home. And so, uh, yeah. But I think people also do that because of, because of, the rise of dating apps and, and social media, I think like as like I'm single right now, so I'm on those apps. And one of the things that like I, I don't do when I date is I don't look up like the, the woman that I'm going to go on a date with on social media. I don't do that at all. Um, because I feel like social media gives us this illusion of option. Yeah. And you know, I've, you know, seen people in relationships who, you know, are, are, you know, with somebody who's so lovely, but they see all of these curated lives on social media and it makes them question the amazing life they already have. And I think that's something that Aziz Ansari talks about in that book, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is like the, the, I don't know, the effect that perceived choice has on, you know, just like the, the kind of depth of a relationship and, you know, what your values are in a relationship. And so, you know, one, one of the things he talks about is, you know, kind of because you have this perceived choice, the, the, the predominant kind of value set in finding a partner emphasizes a, a deep connection, like a, a deep emotional connection. Whereas yeah. what they found by talking to baby boomers is, you know, a, a deep connection really kind of was an afterthought. And it's like, if that happened, then, well great but really what it was is like oh he's nice one of the jokes that he keeps throwing is like oh he's nice he's got a he's got a great mustache um and <laughs> uh he likes to eat donuts so you know what else could you ask for in a partner and also he lives in your building so you know what's to complain about um so oh, it, it, it's interesting i like to eat donuts <laughs> yeah i've got a mustache <laughs> you've uh, got a mustache yeah uh so i guess to follow that up with uh urbanism and settlement patterns uh there's a book that i recently uh picked up 
uh, called Built on Bones, 15,000 Years of Urban Life and Death. And it's by uh, Brenna Hassett. You can find her on Twitter, at Brenna Walks. Uh, and it's it's a great book. And it also, it's, it's nonfiction, uh, and it's based on, you know, ar- her archaeological studies. And um, she studies, you know, kind of like death, burial, and uh, population dynamics through you know, what you see, uh, what you see on the human skeleton and it, its relationships to, you know, where it is in a city, um, and you know, what's buried with it. Uh, and the, the prose is great. I, I think one of, oddly enough, one of my favorite things is the footnotes. Uh, the footnotes are funny as hell. Uh, they're really good. Uh, and so she follows, you know, uh, death basically through different cultures and places and how, you know, different ways of, of like expressing death change with over time and with each, each culture and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a headier read. Um, that sounds deep. (laughs) Yeah, but it's, it's a fast read even for someone as, as slow at reading as I am. Uh, so I highly recommend it. It's called built on bones. How, how long Um, is it? Uh, I don't know if I, I if I had to guess, I I would say, maybe under 300 pages oh damn okay oh i have to read this now yeah it's it's uh 288 pages that's a yeah that's a dope cover it's a good one yeah yeah i'm gonna have to look that one up too oh i have this like i have this giant stack of books on my coffee table (laughs) that i need to burn through and i just keep buying more right yeah Oh, it's a problem. Yeah, here in, <laughs> here in Portland, I've got Powell's books, and it's it's one of those places that I that store is magical. It really is, and I I won't allow myself to go in because most of the time because I know I'll come out with at least one book, and so it, it's just kind of one of those things. It's like right now I'm I've been like you know trying to organize and move into a new house, and I'm like, all right, I've I've got to put a a hiatus on on picking up new books, but you know. You see how well that rule has stood up with uh, picking up uh, the last Neanderthal and, and built on bones, but um... yeah, but you could say that was all research for this podcast. <laughs> but, yeah. but speaking of Powell's books, uh, do you go to Sizzle Pie? Yeah, it's right across the street. It's, yeah, it's awesome. that place is amazing. <laughs> yeah, the the place is a really good pizza joint. Um, yeah. So I guess to follow along, I didn't think I was going to pick anything thematic, but now that I'm, I'm seeing this, it's, it's kind of going along. Um, it's, it's another thing on, on urbanism, but it takes a different track. It's, uh, it's kind of a historical fiction, but it's, it's very, very close and, and, uh, and accurate to kind of the way historical events unfolded. It's called The Ghost Map by Stephen Johnson. And Ooh. it is a historical account that follows a a young doctor, I believe his name was Jon Snow, uh, and <laughs> no relation to the Game of Thrones guy. Oh, okay. I was like, is this like a a Game of Thrones fanfic? <laughs> yeah, it's like what if what if Jon Snow was immortal and he lived in London in uh, the Victorian era? Uh, but it, it follows uh, <clears throat> a series of cholera epidemics that were just decimating London's po- population and it was just like wrecking people. And this was, this was at the time when uh, they, they didn't like 
the the medical fields didn't really understand germ theory uh and right. so you know the very notion of germ theory was radical and this this doctor this young dr snow as he's as he's trying to figure out what on earth is killing these people um he starts to develop you know what what would later become germ theory and it almost ruins his career uh oh how so well because the the establishment in in the medical fields basically laugh him out and they get pissed off at him and and they they say like you are done like we're we are no longer allowing you to work we're blacklisting you um and so you know dr snow goes well i'm I'm going to keep doing this thing because I think I'm onto something big. And so he ends up um, using kind of a combination of geography and, um, and looking at population health. And so what he finds is that uh, this invisible killer that is just wrecking London uh, with seemingly no rhyme or reason <clears throat> is not confined to the poor. Uh, and it's also not confined to people living next to the river. And so, like, at the time, they were like, well, you know, uh, diseases tend to kill poor people. So, you know, so be it. And, you know, I guess that's something that really hasn't changed in human society. Disease but... is the was the great equalizer for the most part. Yeah. And so uh, he's seeing that, you know, the 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 wealthy are dying at just as just as much of a pace as uh, the poor. And so as he's mapping these things out, he's realizing that there's, there's a spatial relationship to this. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give away the punchline to it, but it's, it's amazing as, as he's, you know, figuring out kind of not only uh, how cholera works, but how diseases move around in human populations. And this was one of those books uh, that I, I picked up in grad school and listened to on Audible and the the narrator has this great voice uh it's 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 a a really enjoyable voice and one of the highlights that i still remember to this day is as he's talking about the the way the the way that human waste was dealt with in london at this time oh god was pretty appalling and so you know you can picture this narrator and he goes and there were great heaping piles of turds in the basements and he's oh, like god <laughs> talking about like oh, what they would do man. with all the poop and so you know it's like well okay yeah it's it's a book about cholera new today yeah, yeah. And he's talking about like people like literally pooping themselves to death yeah uh, that's what cholera does to you yeah and uh it's it's very graphic so if if you're shy about poop maybe this isn't the book for you but most archaeologists i've met are are pretty big into poop so i, I think yeah. you're gonna really dig this gotta we gotta deal with that actually speaking of poop uh i could swear on your show right yeah yeah go for it yeah, yeah. um i so you know how i used to work in jordan uh-huh and i re- was returning to site one day and we were working in this uh little city called madaba and a dude had taken a shit in my square no like like it was like i had brushed down the square for photos at the end of the day and i came back the next morning and there was like uh like i was really deep too so somebody like shimmied all the way down into my square and left a, like took a shit right at the exact center of my unit oh dude that sounds like that sounds like somebody had it out for you 
It was a spite ship, but I made one of my students pick it up. So, (laughs) (laughs) Damien, Damien Mangar, if you're listening to this, I am so sorry. Oh my god, (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, poop stories. (laughs) Poop stories rule. Uh, So I guess this brings me to my last book, Um, and this book is special to me because. I think this is the book that turned me on to anthropology. Oh. Uh, and uh, it's it was funny because uh, I read it when I was uh, I read it at a at a time in my life when you know I had I had dropped out of school. I I thought I was going to be an engineer. I had dropped out of school and I worked as a wilderness backpacking guide for a year. And during that time. You know, I was really having a hard time, like, figuring out, you know, like, a direction or a purpose. And so, you know, it was, like, when I eventually went back to school, I I just signed up for a bunch of electives to just get, like, the general curriculum knocked out. And one of them was this this anthropology course. And um, it is such a good way to to break someone into anthropological thought. Uh, And so this book is Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. And... Uh, have have you read this one? No, I've I've never heard of it. Uh, it's I would I would I would say uh, I would totally recommend using it as a teaching tool for uh, younger readers or uh, or younger students. I mean, or for you know people who just aren't familiar with anthropological thought, because at the time I thought it was mind blowing and like life changing, and now it's like in hindsight, you know I've I've had to tear apart like some some like you know middle range theory and like higher end theory and stuff like that. And so, you know, as I've revisited it, uh, in more recent years, I've realized it's really not that earth shattering. It's actually pretty, pretty basic and introductory, but it does such a good job of, of like, uh, introducing, you know, some, some critical thought on how civilization works. And so the plot device is, uh, there's, there's a young man, who is totally disillusioned, has no, uh, you know, kind of focus in, in life, no direction. He's just working these, these like dead end jobs. And he sees an ad in the paper one day. Okay. This ad in the paper says, uh, teacher looking for a student. And, um, it it says something like must be, must be open-minded, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's a few other things, but it's a very short and very vague thing. And for whatever reason, it really connects with this, this, this person. And so the, the person goes to answer the ad and, uh, when he, when he goes to meet the teacher, he ends up walking into a room and there is a gorilla behind a glass wall and that's it. And he's like, huh? this this is crazy and and dumb uh i must be in the wrong place and then he finds out that the gorilla is telepathic and can communicate directly into his into his thoughts and so they end up having these you know conversations that last you know all day long and so he he comes there for days and days and days and through through his conversations you know he's he ends up introducing you know, the concepts of hunter gatherers, um, the, the concepts right. of civilization, the concept of like the, the, the cost of civilization 
on not only on on the planet and the ecosystem and other animals but also on people and one of the the interesting um, themes in it is that the gorilla argues that to be human is to know captivity but oh humans have captured themselves and it's that's a that's an interesting thought in its own right. that has been explored by other archaeologists and anthropologists like Jared Diamond and agriculture yeah. the worst mistake in human history especially paleoanthropologists have have studied kind of the domestication of animals and one of the the more provocative ideas is the domestication of humans and so it's like yeah. what, do, what does it mean to be a domesticated human and what what is an undomesticated human and kind of where is that transition and how does civilization play into that and uh so it's it's really interesting to see kind of all of these anthropological ideas um and, and stuff played out by a telepathic gorilla uh talking that's really to cool someone. yeah that 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 when you when you mention like intelligent gorillas in fiction i immediately thought of congo by uh, michael <laughs> yes. Crichton. like not very anthropological very much science fiction but still got cool gorilla characters do you do you think that that book ishmael right yeah that you mentioned do you think that's what kind of inspired you to your love of the outdoors because you seem like very much like the kind of person who, you know, you have to be outdoors. You have to spend some time out there. You need to bike. You need to, you know, feel that freedom from the city. Yeah, it, that's really interesting that that you mentioned freedom from the city because it's as as much as I do enjoy spending time in the city and and biking around cities and you know, eating and drinking my way around cities is uh whenever I have the time, I find myself leaving cities to just go spend time in unpopulated areas. Um, and I, I say unpopulated areas on purpose because, uh, there's, there's also like all sorts of ideas o over what is natural and, and what is like untouched and whatever. Yeah. And you know, here we are living in the Anthropocene and, and humans have left a scar on the entire planet. Some some people might even argue that the Anthropocene is uh, a, a garbage term as well. Yeah. Have you have, have you talked about that? It's like, oh, how how egocentric are we? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, one of my one of my favorite professors as an undergrad is is a geologist, and uh, I, I remember like years ago when the the term was kind of becoming popular, uh, he he said that he disagreed with it as a geologist because we're still such a flash in the pan, you know, we really are. And our, our mark on this planet, well, while it is, you know, indelible and, uh, you know, f far reaching is still so brief in terms of geologic time that, you know, like we have barely left a, a mark that can compare to, you know, like crinoids or, you know, the small ocean fossils from like the, the Ordovician or the Devonian, you know, that yep. they persisted like 400, for 500 million of, years ago. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, so, it's, it's interesting. Well, for, I mean, do, do your listeners know what the Anthropocene is? This is a great time to talk about it. Uh, well, so, for, dear listeners of the Anthropocene, you're about to learn something interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here we are in this time capsule. Uh, so anatomically modern humans 
have lived in the Holocene. And, uh, you know, during that time, you know, humans have come to flourish and be kind of the, the key, keystone species on, on the planet uh, in that they're creating creating niches in the environment, altering their environments. But, you know, other animals do that, too. Let's let's not be confused. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're doing it at such a scale and such a pace that uh, is is outpacing and, and outscaling uh other animals and so you know kind of kind of one of the the principles that i I think it's mentioned in in ishmael but it's also mentioned in the last neanderthal is that um wherever humans have gone on the planet mass extinction has followed and yeah it's just one of those things and so the anthropocene establishes that uh the the period where anatomically modern humans have really radically altered the climate of the planet and the ecosystem and just the functioning of the earth's systems is the anthropocene and there there's a lot of debate over when exactly it starts one of the one of the firmest um, industrial age yeah one of the firmest is the industrial age um but there's there's also a strong argument for the nuclear age in the, yeah, that too. Yeah, in that um, those are those are chemical traces that we've left that can't be made by other other organisms or, or other natural processes. Um, and yeah, so, that's a good point. I guess I I guess you could say like the byproducts in the industrial age could have been could they could that have been like made by volcanoes? Sure, right. I I I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, don't know. I, I mean, the, it's, the it's industrial just belching age and out a lot of carbon. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they both both the industrial age and the nuclear age make sense for the definition. Yeah, we're destroying the planet. We are. We really are, man. You're and, just lucky uh, that you live in Portland. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm still reminded that Portlandia is a fictional place, though. It's. It's. Uh... It feels real. When I was there, it felt real. <laughs> yeah. It, it does at times. Uh, the other day, as, as a side note, I, I walked past uh, what the the real bookstore that the they changed. Yeah, yeah. The Women and Women First book, Bookstore. It's, it's called something else. I, I'm not going to say what it is because the owners absolutely hate being associated with the show. But yeah, uh, I, I walked past it and I did a double take and I was like, it's Women and Women First. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's why I went to Powell's books because I was like, "Oh, that's in the t- one of the title sequences to the show." Yep. I basically when I when I was in Portland uh, last September, I was just like I was there for like my brotherly vacation with my with the with my brother Jamie, and we we basically were like, "I I love the show," and he had never watched it, so I'm like, "I'm gonna drag you around Portland, and we're gonna all see we're gonna see all these little obscure things that you're not gonna understand, but I'm gonna have a blast." <laughs> So I went on a Portlandia tour. <laughs> that is awesome. A self-made Portlandia tour. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> now I want to go back. Yeah. It that show's ridiculous. It's it's pretty funny. It's so good. It's so good. But we we should we should we should talk about TV shows, movies, and anthropological fiction in an episode of my show. I am so down. So We should 100% listeners- do that. Stay tuned to the Curiosity and Focus podcast because uh, I'll eventually uh, make my way over there for oh yeah another crossover because we're having a lot of fun with these. Uh, oh, these are great. Yeah.
These are excellent because, like, again, like, like you say every single time we do a podcast, you know, the the conversation is good because we're both podcasters. So there's, we we kind of can carry on where the other kind of falls. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it it is nice. Uh, so, and I'm you really and happy. you and I. And you and you can steal my little outro thing too. <laughs> <laughs> I I have been stealing this. Uh, so the yeah. first time the first time I had you on the show, uh, you you taught me this this really cool uh, like vocal cue. So I I guess let's do it now. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you lead the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, Daniel, where can people find you online? Oh well. Uh... Listeners of the Go Dig a Hole podcast, <laughs> you can find me on all forms of social media, um, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at Daniel H. Kwan. That's Daniel H-K-W-A-N. Uh, you can learn more, more about my show, Curiosity in Focus, at curiosityinfocus.com. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, and I'm slowly discovering several other podcasting platforms. Um, but but our main one is iTunes. So Curiosity in Focus podcast on iTunes and you can, of course, listen to, let me see what episode that was um, that you were on. But uh, Chris was on an episode of Curiosity and Focus. And that would be episode 22. Episode 22 of the Curiosity and Focus podcast. Nice. Get that. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. thanks again, Daniel, for joining the show. Uh, I'm really looking problem, forward man. to staying in touch and uh, you know, talking about more stuff. Yeah, let's uh, let's do another episode maybe in uh, I want to say August for the next season of my show. I'm gonna get in touch with Claire Cameron and see if uh, you and I can do like a, a co-interview of, of of hers and we can put them on both of our podcasts or something like that. That would be awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna see if I can if I can make that happen. I don't know if I have enough pull. I think you're, uh, I maybe I don't know. If she's she's a Torontonian. I feel like in podcasting it's a matter of like faking it until you make it. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. they don't have to know that you only have seven thousand listeners. You know, you can be like, uh, oh God, I, I wish I had seven thousand listeners. <laughs> I, I wish. I'm just pulling numbers out out of my ass. But I think I think at the moment, I've got close to two thousand. Nice. I don't know, but podcast metrics are really hard to to determine. They really are. They're impossible to nail down. Yeah. So I don't know, but I am update for for you. Uh, I'm thinking of dropping Audible. Really? Yeah, if um I feel like I'm not getting the engagement with Audible. Like it's a cool read and uh it sounds good on the show, but I feel like at this point everybody already has Audible. Yeah. So yeah. getting commissions from Audible is next to impossible. I, I think I've made like sixty dollars or something from Audible. Mm. I mean that's that's like not bad, but I feel like if I can get a, a different sponsor that might be better for my audience, I'm going to make the move from Audible. Yeah. If you're listening to this show, uh, you need to go sponsor Curiosity and Focus. It's really awesome. Let's just sponsor both of our shows so we can keep having these amazing conversations yeah, about for real. books, pop culture, archaeology, and once again, dating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> This is this has been a, a really good episode. I think every time we do one, we get we get better and better. Yeah. Because so, I think this is now the fourth ep the fourth podcast we've done. Yeah. Because we've done one episode of your show, Arc Three Six Five, my show, and now your show again. Yeah. Those right? those were all that, really good. That's it. Yeah. So we'll do a fifth one, but we'll make it curiosity and focus, and we'll go just like 
hardcore anthropology, archaeology in pop culture. Yeah. So listeners of the Go Dig a Hole podcast, send your suggestions for things that Chris and I have to watch to what, what's your contact for it? <laughs> uh, my contact is Christopher at GoDigAHole.com for email. Uh, but I'm pretty responsive on Twitter. So you can just tweet at me at go dig a hole. Um, and, uh, that's, that's kind of how I, I prefer to organize podcasts and, and stuff like that. But you know, you're limited by characters. So, uh, that's you know, true. If, if or you've got DM. Some, slide yeah, into the DMS. There you go. DMS are open. Uh, don't abuse it. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So, okay. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to canvas my listeners for archeology span and anthropology sort of movies and TV shows that I have to watch. You do the same thing and we'll reconvene, do an episode on that, and then maybe do a separate one with Claire Cameron if we can. That sounds awesome. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Go Dig a Hole. As always, you can contact me by email at Christopher at GoDigAHole.com or on the Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. We've got all the social media bases covered, all at Go Dig a Hole. Don't forget to check out the blog at GoDigAHole.com for long-form companion posts to most of the episodes. Special thanks to Louisville post-punk band Invaders for letting me use their song Dig a Hole for the show's bumper music. Check them out on Bandcamp and download their album by the same name, Dig a Hole. This show was produced and edited by me, your host, Christopher Sims. Until next time, go dig a hole.